Okay, so welcome to Redstone Church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm, Psalm 63, all right, if you've got your Bibles and, and uh, just want to put your thumbs right in the middle of a Bible, right, and just open it up, you should, it should fall open to the book of Psalms, and they're numbered 1 to 150, so go ahead and find Psalm 63. Uh, you also have it in your worship guide. We've printed it there for you. And so if you want to actually doodle and circle and those kinds of things, that's how you can, you can find it. And so Psalm 63. All right. At the age of 68, a man that you and I have never met before, his name was Ed Rosenthal. And so he was 68 years old, and he had a tradition he was a salesman in California and those types of things, but he had a tradition. Every time that he made a major sell, he would go and he would do something to reward himself. Oftentimes, he would do something adventurous. And so Ed, at the age of 68, was still buying and selling and, and doing some great things. Um, it was a, just a summer day, right? And uh, he made a major sell. And so he went out and he was just going to hike a few miles this was a tradition that he, was, that he would normally do, and so this was not something that he was unaccustomed of. Uh, it, was just a, it was a beautiful day, and so he didn't think anything of it. He had heard about this trail, even though he had never hiked it before. He had heard that it was only three miles there and back, and so it was pretty, it was pretty easy, but it gave you a vista, it gave you a view over, over a city that he just really wanted to see. So he struck out about 9 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he went up, and he found to the top, and it was amazing. It was great. It was a perfect day, and it was a really, really short hike, and Ed was a very experienced hiker. So he didn't think about needing extra hydration or extra layers. In fact, he left so much of that back in the car because he just knew that he would be there and back. He made it to the summit. It was as beautiful as they said it was, and he was heading down, and an hour went by, and something didn't, didn't, didn't equate. Something looked wrong. He went another hour, and he was really mystified. So then he turned around, and he backtracked um, where he had come. The only problem is when he backtracked, he didn't see anything familiar at all. Later on, Ed just remembers that he, he's missing trailhead after trailhead. He'd never seen it before. Six hours now has passed by. No one knows where Ed is because he didn't tell anyone where he was going. He didn't have extra water. In fact, he drank it all at the top. He didn't have extra food, and he didn't have extra clothing. The sun was going down, and he was in Joshua Tree National Park, where it's really, really warm in the day and really, really cool at night. And he knew that he had to bed down for the night. So there he was with his flashlight or a headlamp and an emergency blanket. And he kept flashing his flashlight against the, uh, the, the emergency blanket, trying to send a signal up to passing uh, airplanes or something to no avail. The next morning he woke up and he had some dates left over. He threw a couple of dates in his mouth and he was so dehydrated that the dates stuck to the top of his, the roof of his mouth like peanut butter. He just knew that things were going down, downhill fast. So he knew that he only had a couple of hours, definitely another day to get out of this mess, but it continued to go farther into the wilderness and get more and more lost. He kept looking in the horizon. He kept thinking that it was color. He thought it was maybe people's sweaters or jackets or those kinds of things. He would make it there, and it was simply flowers. This guy, 68, was very, very lost. He's now dehydrated, right? And, and now he's just, he's, he's just starting to cramp, and he's now sunburned because he's been out in, in, in the elements for two whole days. 
The third day, the third day, he wakes up, and he really he can't open his mouth because there's nothing there. He's out in the desert, and he's starting to prepare himself for the inevitable. He begins to pray, pray prayers that he learned in, in church. He has a, kind of a, a hiking cap, right? It was a white one, and it had the flap in the back. And he started writing notes to his loved ones just in case that was the only thing that someone found. Day four and day five continued to come and go. On day five, there was an actual, there was a sprinkling. Just a, it wasn't a thunderstorm, but it was just enough to, for him to lay on his back and have water come into his mouth. He was so, just so famished that there was no way that he could move at all. So he just laid on the back of his back and just let the water come into his mouth. Day six, he woke up. He thought he woke up. Mouth is glued shut because he just has no water. And now his eyes. He can't even peel his eyes open. So how does Ed get into a place like this? How does a guy, a very experienced person who's done many, many hikes, get into a situation like this? Well, what the Bible says is that the Bible says that you and I get ourselves into similar predicaments every single day. And so I want you, us to look at Psalm 63. And, we want, and I want us just to walk through the fact that this is, this is us this is who we are on a day-to-day basis. And we oftentimes, we don't know that we're lost and we don't know that we're famished and because we just kind of wake up and we do a normal rhythm every single day. Psalm 63, 1 through 5 reads like this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you and I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Let's go back to verse 1 and let's do a little audience participation. Are you all okay with that this morning? So Psalm 63 verse 1 says this. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So in this psalm, especially in this one verse, what does this one verse say about the human condition? If you only had one verse of the Bible to understand who you are, what would that one verse say about your human condition? Audience, so how does it describe you? How does it describe me? We are... You're going to have to yell because there's air conditioners. and We are thirsty people by nature, right? You understand what it means to have cotton mouth? We are thirsty What does that mean to be thirsty? What's that? In need of water. Good. All right, what else? Let's have a dialogue. What else does this say about you and me and us? Desperate. Desperate. Okay? You've come to the 
end of something. Dry, weary, land. We're desperate people by nature. Keep going. Yell it. We're weak. All right? We're weak. All right? All the masculine people up here, right? Up here, yeah. I mean, that, 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 we don't want to say that about ourselves. Desperate and weak, thirsty, dry. You know, this, these aren't type of things that we want to say. Keep going. What does it say? There's no water here. The source. I mean, somebody's going to cut off the spigot. Two more. There is a search. In all of our hearts, there's a searching for something, maybe someone. One more. Okay, so we try to say to ourselves, we're independent people, we don't need anything, but by just the fact that we can run dry and we can run thirsty or we can become hungry is the idea that we're dependent on outside things to fill us up. And so, yes, in Psalm 63, verse 1, it tells us that we are hungry. That's the reason we faint. And we are thirsty. That's the reason we need something to drink. We are empty, and that's why we need to be filled up. This is who you and I are. Okay, we need to know one more thing about uh, verse 1. Not only are we hungry, not only are we thirsty, seeking, dependent, independent, all of these types of things. But there's one other thing that actually makes it even worse. Actually makes our condition even worse. It says, oh God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. If you've got your Bibles open or you're, you're kind of circling some things inside your worship guide, I want you to circle the word earnestly. Um, in the Hebrew, this is the word shakar, okay? Shakar, all right? You don't need to know that, but you just need to know every time the word shakar is mentioned, it has a couple of different ways that it is, is translated. Here, the, in the ESV, it's translated earnestly, right? Or desperately, or diligently. This is what we do. This is how we seek. But inside this little word, this word shakar, inside this word, there's a time stamp, Right? There's a stamp of time that's inside this word because it's not just earnestly seeking or diligently seeking, but it's a priority word. It's a daily word. It's a firstly word. And so in other translations, it's not just diligently or earnestly, but it's priority or even daily or your first thing that you do. So do not walk out of here and realize that you're only thirsty or that you're only hungry or that you are dry in need of something else. The word earnestly says the reason that you have to seek so hard is this is a daily endeavor. This is not a seasonal endeavor. This is not something that can be sporadic. This is a daily need for something on the outside to come and quench your thirst and feed your soul. It took Ed Rosenthal only six days to realize he was at the end of ours himself. Many, 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 many more days than that goes by before we recognize we are in that kind of condition spiritually. So the first question is, what is it, how does this passage describe you and me? Dry, thirsty, right? We are faint, 
These are the types of things that describe ourselves. Okay, let's look at all five verses now, and let's, let's see what, how it describes God, right? What is actually our source of how, what is going to be our replenishment? What is actually going to quench our thirst is God and God alone, right? And so what are some things in here that it says about God? It's only five verses, and we've read it out loud. Maybe you can look at the text now, but what exactly does this small passage of Scripture have to say about the source of your thirst and a source of your hunger. So what does it say about God? First and foremost is what in verse 1? It's very personal, right? It's my God. You are my God. So the very first thing we see is that it's personal. Very good. Any other things that we can glean as far as our source has to be personal. Anything else? Okay, so all the way in verse 3, is that right? Steadfast love? Because of your steadfast love in verse 3 is better than life. So this is his steadfast love. These are, pretty, these are the two major issues in, in 63. Is that you are dry and you are thirsty and that there's a source. The source is God and God alone, and there's only two ways that he is describing himself here. Number one is that it ha- he has to be personal. And number two is he has at his core this idea of steadfast love. You need to circle these things. Steadfast love in verse three. And you, oh God, my God, circle that. And you need to just stare at this. You have a daily need. You have a daily thirst. You have a daily like hunger. And the only way these things are going to be satisfied is by God and God alone on a daily, not a sporadic basis. And so let's, let's go from the bottom to the top. Let's talk a little bit about verse 3. So this is, this is his love. His, his steadfast love is better than life. Okay, so let's just look at this word steadfast. Steadfast is a Hebrew word mean, that says hesed, H-E-S-E-D. You don't need to know that unless you just want to impress somebody at a dinner party. But H-E-S-E-D is hesed. What you don't know is that hesed is one of the major players in the scriptures. So you have, if you're going to understand God, you're going to have to understand this word, this tiny little word called hesed, also known as initiating love or steadfast love, or endearing love, or covenantal love. This type of love is so strong that it is unbreakable. Hesed is this idea that God is coming forward to you with a covenantal, with a relational kind of love that you and I need. The thing that we need to satisfy us is an understanding, a mental understanding that God loves us with a covenantal love. We've already sung it this morning, right? The way that we understand covenantal love is two very simple words and yet just has the depth of understanding. Under, under um, steadfast love, under has said, are these two English words. Number one is mercy and the, number, and the second one is grace. These are the way that we would describe this covenantal love, this love that never ends, is mercy and grace. A quick and easy uh, definition for mercy is the fact that you deserve a punishment, or you deserve a discipline, or you deserve a consequence, and you don't get it, right? You deserve a spanking, 
mister, but you're not going to get one. You need to go to timeout, but I'm going to let you watch Netflix instead. All right? So you understand this idea of mercy is the fact that you need to be punished for the rest of your life because of this. And yet you don't. Right? So as fathers and mothers, we make all kinds of threats. I'm going to take away this and that, and you're never going to talk to him or her ever again. Right? And we're just like flailing. Right? The idea of mercy is that we deserve the worst types of consequences. And because of God's steadfast love, he withholds these consequences. He withholds this type of punishment that we deserve. So that's what mercy is, is the fact that we deserve a punishment and he, he backs away from them. The second thing is grace. The grace is on the other pendulum swing of mercy, where mercy is a withholding of a punishment. Grace is a gift. Grace is this idea that you get something that you do that does not belong to you or that you did not earn or did you, that you don't even deserve. And so where punishment or mercy is a withdrawing of a punishment, grace is on the other end of the spectrum where it's giving and giving and giving and you get something, you lavishly get something that you do not deserve. And so the thing that you need to do on a daily basis, on a daily basis, this scripture tells us, is to look at the mercy of God and the grace of God. That you need to look at the things that you deserve punishment for and praise God that you are not experiencing those types of consequences. What the scriptures tell us is that when we look at the punishment that we deserve, knowing that he has retracted those things, our hearts burst forth in worship. Our hearts burst forth in praise. And then on the other end, for us to look at the gifts that God gave us. He's given us salvation. He's given us forgiveness. He give, he's given us patience. He's with, withdrawn his, his anger. He's slow to anger. He's very patient with us. And when we understand his mercy and his grace, our hearts can't do anything but respond. And so this is what we need to do on a daily basis. This is how we fill ourselves up. This is how we quench our thirst and we fill our hunger. It's coming through this covenantal or the steadfast love of the Lord that is better than life. We wake up every morning and we fill our eyes and we fill our minds and we fill our stomachs and we fill our ears with all types of trash. Because we think that those types of things that we bring close to us is the best thing. The thing that will bring us life and they continue to fail us. If you only had one scripture and it would be Psalm 63, what the psalmist is telling us is for us to stare at the covenantal love of the Lord. So that was in verse 3. But in verse 1, we hear the second thing that, that tells us about God is not just God, but it is my God. It's very personal. So now we're going to do a little bit of study, and I want you to just circle every personal uh, singular uh, pronoun that is in the Scripture. There's 12 of them, okay? There's 12 of them. I've highlighted them here. So let's read through this real quick. All right, so verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. That's the first one, okay? That's number one. Earnestly, I seek you. There's number two. My soul thirsts for you. There's number three. My flesh faints for you. You're starting to get the picture, right? This is a very personal understanding, right? It cannot be, you cannot have spiritual depth 
you know, by a distance. It, he has to bring in close. My, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. You're starting to get it, right? In your name, I will lift up my hands. There it is again. There's, there's 12 of them. Have I told you that? Okay, so verse 5, my soul will be satisfied. This is what we want. Right? When we're parched, we want to be satisfied. And verse 5 gives us the confidence that my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. There it is, 12 of them. 12 personal pronouns that have to do with you. So not only do you have to understand the steadfast, the covenantal love of God, the mercy and the grace of God, you have to bring it in close to your heart. And you have to bring it in close to your mind. It affects you. It has to impact you. It is very, very personal. The, the title of this series is called Rhythms, right? There's a downbeat and an upbeat, right? And I learned a phrase um, today. Will, what's the downbeat and the upbeat thing? There's, there's, all right, so y'all were fussing, you and Jessica, and y'all were talking about syncopation. So this is what happens at 8 o'clock in the morning. Musicians are talking about syncopation, right? I don't know. So anyway, so this rhythm is this idea is that you have a downbeat, but you also have an upbeat, right? So down and up and down and up because there is a rhythm to life. And we want you and I to fall into a rhythm of trusting God more and more. To giving over more and more of your days to him. And so this is rhythmatic. If you look at the front side of your, your worship guide, you're going to see some waves and the waves go down and the waves go up and the waves go down and the waves go up. We wish that our life looked like a market report where everything is just skyrocketing and pinging to the north, right? And everything is going up. But more often than not, especially if we read the characters of the scriptures, we know that our lives have dips, valleys, and then also huge marks of, of satisfaction and joy. And so this is the rhythm of life. And so we're going to have to find something to hold on to in these rhythms of life. And we're going to have to place some things in our lives that will steady us and bring us, bring us some, some boldness and some clarity. And so what we are doing today is we've just, we flooded you with information. On everybody's seat is what we're calling a, a, a rhythm, a spiritual rhythm inventory. I want you to pull it out right now. All right, so you should have two of them, right? You should have two. And so everyone have two, um, Spiritual rhythm inventory sheets, okay? And so this is what we're going to do, class. I've been very, I've been talking to you as a class and receiving information as a class. So class, we're actually going to take the next five minutes for you to take this inventory. All right, here's what happens. Uh, we, were, we were sitting here on Monday talking about a sheet of paper and someone goes, I'm already feeling self-conscious, okay? So you, I, I want to just admit that you're probably holding this, this paper and you're feeling a little bit self-conscious, like I don't want to be honest, all right? So let's just, let's just put it on the table. We don't like to be honest on these types of things because maybe just maybe we're scared of what they're going to actually say about us. 
But in this, in this spiritual rhythms, we've outlined five different like rhythms of your life that we think are the most important. Number one has to do with the word, like your engagement with God's word. Number two is your engagement with prayer. Number three is your engagement with a rhythm of silence and solitude. Number four is this your engagement with the body, like body life. And like, do you participate in what this common grace of what it means to worship together, pray together, those kinds of things. So body life. And the fifth one is this idea of giving, giving up of your words or giving up of your resources or giving up of your talents. All right. And so these are kind of the five major kind of rhythms that we want you to take. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to take a few minutes, and I want you to just, like, see, you don't put, do not put your name on this, okay? Because we're actually going to ask you to turn this in at the end of the service. There's two goals for this. Number one is for you to kind of just get an understanding of where you are. And the second thing is we've not taken up much data. We're just going to, in, in three or four weeks, we're going to just reveal some of this data to us, probably in the weekly or those types of things. So we really do want you to take this rhythm inventory, but then we also want you to fold it in half, right? Make it really, really small because you don't want anybody to see your answers, right? And we want you to actually turn it in at the end of the service. Okay, so number one, please select the age that best describes you. Right? This one's easy. You don't have to lie on this one. All right? Oh, so, um, Jerry, Jerry, when do, you, when do you become a senior adult? Is it the AARP card? Is that, is that what it is? Okay, so, yes. So, senior adults, right? If you're 42 or older, you're old. Let me tell you, you're old. I, look, you make it up. If you're if you're adult, you're adult. If you're a senior adult, and you, I, it doesn't matter. How about this? Scratch out senior and just put adult. <laughs> if you were here when Noah built the ark, that's you are old. All right, that was supposed to be easy. Number two, I've been um, I've been a follower of Jesus, a Christian for X number of years. And it's okay if you're not following Jesus. That's okay. Again, this is just an understanding of where we are. Um, it's, it's, it's great. All right, number three. How long have you been attending church? That's easy. You don't have to lie on any of those. All right. Uh-oh, here it goes. Whew, blood pressure just went up. Okay, not counting the worship gatherings. I read and study my Bible, and you can see the kind of the, the, the answers there. So this is excluding community group and... Worship gatherings. I open my Bible this many times a week, month. It's okay. All right. I talk with others about God, what God is teaching me through the Bible. Right. So we're, this is just this is the expression of your words, words about God, what God is teaching you. Actually, comes rolling out this many times. Um, which of this best describes my prayer life? Like a, regu- a regular rhythm. I have regular rhythms and then often throughout the day I'm s- spontaneous. I pray more spontaneous than regular. Number three is r- infrequently and I just rarely. It's okay. And this again, this is, this is just a, a snapshot of today. It's, it's all right. Number seven um, has a, is a fasting. This, this is the idea that you are withdrawing food from your diet. So you're only supplementing with, with water. 
Um, so you do that a, a couple of times or not at all. Okay, this one is silence. Number eight is silence and solitude. I've set aside extended times of silence and solitude on purpose to deepen my relationship with God. All right, this is not going on a hunting trip for three days. I mean, it can be, but it's for the purpose of deepening your relationship. Does that make sense? Number nine, I serve others in this way. And so this is a little more detailed, so it will take a little time to read through all those options. All right, this, this is the, number nine is the gathering. So I worship with my church body on Sundays. Is that every week, three times a month, once or twice a month, every few months? Number 11, last year, I used my words to share the gospel. And that's, there's a time stamp on that. Twelve, last year. I took responsibility for the discipleship of at least one other person. This is 12A or B. Has nothing to do with 12A. Um, I financially gave to Redstone. And this is kind of like just the, where you are in your giving. Number 13 is I give to ministries outside of Redstone. So that's you are participating in giving, but you're actually coming alongside other, other um, ministries and, and you're, you're giving there as well. And then lastly, check all that apply to you as far as your engagement here. And that's going to be really, really helpful, helpful for us. So here's the deal. Here, and now you crumple it up and you hide it because really we want you to keep that private and those kinds of things. We do want you to hand it in. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's the reason you have two. Number one, we want this copy, right? We, we really do want to look at some data and just see where, where, kind of just where our rhythms are as a church body. We're going to do this next week as well, right, um, for those people that aren't in attendance, right, because we really do want to gather as much data as possible. But here's where the second one comes in. We really do want you to take this home with you. And we want you to pull it out, maybe, maybe in, in March, or maybe in July, or maybe in September, and just read through these and just have a dialogue with yourself. Are you continuing to trust the Lord more and more and more throughout these types of things? And here's why the, the sermon series is called Rhythms. For the last couple of months, um, I have been spiritually dry. Um, there's been some things that have been in my life, some outside circumstances that have just forced their ways into my heart and soul. And so oftentimes when I wake up in the morning or when I go to bed at night, it's the outside circumstances that are on my heart or on my mind. These things are actually stealing joy and creating anxiety and worry. And so right now I'm kind of just in a lull. And so, yes, I'm praying, right? Yes, there's, some, there's Bible study, but there's just this, this, this walk with Lord, this intimacy that's lacking right now. I know that I just, this, this is where just the, the dips and the swells of life are just going to come and go. It's these types of rhythms of life, these types of disciplines, these kinds of structures in my life that will keep me grounded. And so... I don't want you to feel guilty about your answers. I don't want you to feel bad about your answers. But if you're walking with Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian, I want you to take them seriously. 
Shame and seriously are two different things. Oh God, my God, earnestly I, I seek you. And this is what we want to be as a church body. And so yes, we may be in a dip. And yes, we may not be as healthy as we want to be. But Lord willing, we will continue on a daily basis to seek God. And that's what we want. Sure, we want us to take it seriously, but I don't want us to walk in shame. I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's the, kind of the point of every passage in the scriptures is what Jesus has done. Is because the steadfast love, this covenantal love is seen in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because we deserved sin and death and punishment that we will never, as as we walk with Jesus, we will never experience those things. We are recipients of his mercy for us. And the same thing that we are recipients of God's grace because of what he has done. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are getting the gift of righteousness and forgiveness with God. A relationship with God that we do not deserve. The point of Jesus, the reason that he came is to keep us out of the desert so that you and I would never be lost again, so that we would never understand what it means to be six days without water or food and lost. The point of verse 1 is that Jesus has kept us from these things. Our soul thirsts and Jesus quenches. Our soul faints, but he is our bread. He is our sustenance. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you walk and you follow after Jesus, he's done this for us. This is his covenantal love for us. So on the sixth day, with his eyes marred shut and his lips, and he's just in a shade somewhere trying not, you know, just try to hold on. He heard Ed Rosenthal heard whirling above him. It was a helicopter. And he heard the syllables that he, are the most precious to him in his whole life. Someone yelling from the helicopter, Are you Rosenthal? Are you Rosenthal? And so, even though he couldn't open his eyes, or even though he couldn't open his mouth, he knew that he was indeed Rosenthal, the one that was lost and needed rescuing. There may be a chance this morning that this scripture is the helicopter. And God, Jesus, the one we pray to, is the one screaming to you, are you I'm here to wake you up? I'm here to pull you out of the desert that you put yourself into. This is not a place of shame. It really is a place where God, Jesus, has promised us life and life abundantly. There's no desert in Jesus' kingdom. Instead, there's a table, a table with rich and, rich and fat food. That's the party that he's welcoming us into. And so as we walk into this table, let us know that we are walking out. We are not in a desert. Instead, we are walking to a table where Jesus is our host and the sustenance is himself. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, there may be people in a desert this morning who find themselves 
lost and thirsty and hungry. And turning to all types, seeking after all types of things to bring them satisfaction and to bring them the quenching that they so eagerly desire. Maybe just maybe today they've turned their attention off of the things that are that will never satisfy. And they will look at your covenantal love, your steadfast love. And this morning they will want it personal. Or perhaps there's, there's men and women or teenagers, college students in here that are just in a huge, just, just, just a valley of spiritual just hunger and spiritual thirst that just will not satisfy. Maybe they've run to other things and they've forgotten their first love, forgotten you. And so we would encourage you, even now, as I'm praying, if you find yourself needing a relationship, wanting to come into a relationship with Jesus, or just needing men and women to come alongside you to pray for you and with you, know that there is a community care team in the back that want to pray with you and for you. And so even now, you can slip out and say, I want prayer. I need prayer. I need someone to redirect my mind and my eyes back to Jesus alone. How would you respond this morning?